welcome back for another episode of Sunday Sessions. Emphasis on the sesh. It's your girl, April Squires. And we have a special guest again this week. Miguel, tell the boys, hey. Hi, how's it going, April? It is going good. I'm so glad that we finally got to sit down and do this. This episode, guys, as you may or may not know already, it's called Please Don't Kill My Vibe. Let's kind of get into what this is all about. So me and Miguel met randomly (laughs) at Thanksgiving. Friendsgiving. Friendsgiving. We were at our friend Kennedy and Brandon's house. We had all, I had just moved up here with Nathan, really have, I guess, a whole lot on the go with like meeting new people. So we all kind of just randomly collectively got together and it was actually such a great time. And then Miguel actually was kind of in this weird transitional period where I was, when I met him, he was like, I don't know if I'm going to stay here in Halifax or if I'm going to go home and be with my girlfriend, basically. The whole long distance thing was kind of taken like it was in that weird transition. Hey, I was definitely in a rough place. I guess I was in transition. I was uh, I was all over the place at the time for sure. I was in Waterville and I was in, I was in Nova Scotia. Yeah, so I didn't know what I was going to do. Transitional periods are always the fucking worst. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it, was, uh, it sucked. <laughs> randomly six months later roughly or just shortly actually after we had met you I had no idea that you were actually looking at starting a blog. Had you known at that time that that's kind of where this was kind of all going to? It was brought up to me like, oh, you should start a blog. And I guess whenever anyone asked me about it, I always talk about it like I had a lot of time to reflect. It's kind of like a nice way of saying, you know, like I was in transition period. I was in a dark, like dark place. I was kind of sad. I was lonely. And those times usually give you a lot of time to reflect. And I guess I realized how much I had to say about certain topics as I kept thinking it over and over I, I guess I pinpointed a lot of topics I wanted to talk about. And I guess I populated a note on my phone of stuff I could write about. Yeah. And then I just, I just went for it. I always shout out my partner, Shaylin, but I honestly, I would never be able to do it without her. She's, she's been a rock for me. I love that. Uh, for any of you guys mm-hmm. listening, Miguel came up with a blog called Miguel's World. Check it out if you haven't already, uh, especially after this episode. I hope it inspires some people and I hope it makes people just give a big fuck you back to the world. So you kind of transition. So some of your first episodes I saw were about like food and lupus and stuff like that. And then I saw October 4th, you kind of posted your first article kind of addressing racism. Yeah, I guess a backpedal one quick second about the food part uh i don't know if i told you this but yeah so at first i first started writing about food uh, on TripAdvisor a lot and that's kind of what i wanted to do at first and then i started thinking about writing something about food and the the first few posts i did were really tough didn't really find much passion in writing it and then other things i wanted to talk about was like racism and my battles with lupus you know and it's like you know you know like i had so much fire so much passion when i wrote even just that intro and it was only like 400 words yeah. Right? So yeah, so that's where that that started. A lot of people that see me write about food and knew it was going to start about food, they're always asking if I'm going to write about food. They're like, there's no chance. It, there's no chance I'm writing about food when I'm writing like, about these topics. <laughs> you're like, food is, is passionate to me and racism is just a little bit higher. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, like I, I wrote a, I wrote a thing on, on Instagram one time. It's like, what do you want me to write about next? And like, uh, somebody wrote like, write about what lights your heart on fire. And like, food just doesn't do it for me anymore. I love food, but like, you know, it just doesn't compare, you know. On October 28, 2021, you also followed by an article called Where Are You Really From? And I found it so crazy. Please, guys, go read it about you sitting in a coffee shop and some guy just staring at you and then coming over and being like, where are you from? And you're like, dude, I'm, I'm literally from Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Like, where, where the fuck are you from, basically? And he was like, no, no, no. And then 
you just, and then he just like the satisfaction that it seemed that this person had gotten from being an absolute ass for no reason. Like, what did you get out of your day for that? So I just want to say to anyone who reads the article, for anyone who feels the need to come up to someone and to say that, that you can basically, Miguel won't say it, but I think I should say it for everyone out there that you need to kiss your own ass. You need to turn around. And I was saying that to Nathan, I was like, I want to print something on a shirt, but he's like, April, no, you can't like, don't do it. And I was like, I want to tell, I want a shirt that says, I can't tell people to fuck up. So I just tell them to do better. And this is, this is everyone's moment in time to just literally try to do better than that. That is unacceptable. The fact that that even happened to you, I just want to apologize for every single person out there. That was ridiculous. That wasn't a great situation. Uh, That happens to a lot of people, a lot of BIPOC people, Black, Indigenous people of color. That was the worst one by far. Easily. I think that was the worst experience I've had. And the term is called a microaggression. What that is where definition, I'm paraphrasing now, but it's an unintentional or intentional slight. Micro as in it's aggressive, but it's small, small aggression. So it often goes undetected. So little things like this seem, I wrote it in the blog too, like little things like this kind of seem innocent, but if you kind of like unravel the layers of, you know, why is this person talking to me? Why is this person not accepting my, my first answer? Why is this person not accepting my second answer? And why is this person not accepting my third answer? You're just kind of like, well, you know, my partner's right next to me. She's white. Why didn't you, you know, why didn't you question her this hard? You know, so that's kind of where, you know, I talk about this a lot and I ask people to like challenge themselves and question your own biases. And obviously, you know, I, I want people to reflect and hopefully these situations won't happen. And, and the thing is, they, I talk, I wrote about it and it, it affects people's identity. People don't feel like they belong and you're alienating people from their own, where they want to belong. Like I, I moved back to Newfoundland, like, like we were talking about earlier, I want to be here, right? A situation like that, you know, I, I see people, people that move here. And these situations happen. They're just like, I hate it here. Right? And, and Newfoundlanders don't like to hear that. Like they, they don't want to hear that. Newfoundlanders don't want to know like that they're being unwelcoming, but these situations are unwelcoming. They're not, they're not great. Yeah. So that, that one sucked. Yeah. That one's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> that one, that one hurt. That one. Cut. Yeah. That one sucked. Uh, I remember sitting there. We had, I forget what we ordered. We ordered something. We were right, really excited. Me and Shaylene, we were so excited. We walked over, you know, wake, it was like Saturday morning, you know, we're going to wake up really early, walk down to the coffee shop and get this nice breakfast. So we got our breakfast and then I think I had like two or three bites out. And then this person comes up to me and, and then confronts me. And I'm just like, like gut turn, couldn't eat. I, I was in shock. I remember Shaylin just looking at me and I was just like, I can't even eat right now. Like I remember just like eating and like, I just like stocked it down, put my plate away and we walked home and she knew that I was very upset like situations like that like i remember when i was thinking about the blog i have a lot to say about this and if i could turn it like spin it in some way that hopefully people could understand one of my friends used to say this to me all the time like like people there's a lot of ignorance they're not aware of it you know the, the people of newfoundland which i love and why i'm here if they knew hopefully they wouldn't do it like this wouldn't happen as much so that's kind of like the stem of why i want to start my blog so hopefully bring awareness to how much this affects people because it, it affects me every time it happens. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting that it is like a microaggression, but it has a macro effect on us and it has a macro yeah. effect on everyone that's around us. And I think too, in a society and in, in Newfoundland, especially we're charismatic, we're funny, we're, you know, we're, we're the life of the party. And I think throughout the years, certain comments or certain things like that have 
been, you know, as we'll, we'll talk about later, just pass off as like, oh, like, oh, it's whatever kind of thing. When in reality, it's not acceptable. And we have yep. to call it what it is. I remember saying to someone who, let's just say they made a racist joke. And I looked at them and I said, so what's the difference between someone who makes a racist joke and someone who is racist? There is no difference. Tell me what no. the difference is. I don't care if you're joking or not. The mm. core value of what you're saying is rude. Yeah. The article that you published uh, June 21st, uh, 2022. So just actually a few days ago from yes. when this episode was originally recorded called I Don't See Color. And I remember us, we had a little chat on Zoom uh, prior to trying to get all of our ideas, all of our thoughts together on kind of what we want to talk about. What do, what impact do we want to have on the listeners of Sunday sessions? And you talked about colorblindness as a belief that there is no difference between different races and ethnicities therefore racism does not exist that's pretty powerful yeah so that's actually like a more like a definition type thing but again it's pleading ignorance you know it's just thinking oh racism isn't here racism doesn't happen i'm not racist i'm i treat everyone equally and you know i actually sent you the picture you know the the, the difference between equality and equity equality is treating everyone equal but equity is getting treating everyone the way they need to be equality giving everyone equally and equity is giving everyone what they need i guess this blog post is talking about equality versus equity and if you turn a blind eye treat everyone equally and plead this blindness and not seeing color uh, situations like the one i wrote about happen where i wrote teasing and racism were indistinguishable because if you if you choose not to see racism, you're not gonna you're you're not gonna see it. Like you're gonna miss it, especially the the small things. So the situation that I wrote about was I was 12 years old on a bus, and you know the parents sit in the front and the kids sit in the back. Nintendo DSs, you remember those? The first gray ones. Everybody had those. I think the next version might have been out, but it doesn't really matter. But there was a picto chat. It was like this new thing where you could like draw and like write and within anybody in your vicinity. So I remember, I don't know what I was doing, but I was unaware of it. And I remember just hearing like, every, so everyone just started laughing. I didn't know what was going on. So I remember like flipping up my DS and opening up. And I remember seeing drawings of me, my name next to it. And I didn't get into it too much, but they were uh, definitely racist at the time. Uh, it was, <laughs> it wasn't, it, it would still suck now, but when I was 12, it, I found it sucked even more. And I just remember everyone just having so much fun. Everyone just thought it was so funny. And I talk about the grins on their face. And like, I remember people just looking at me to see how it would react, you know? And I was just like, this is terrible. This sucks. And I, and I, I wrote a quote in there and it was just like i wrote like why are they targeting me there's nothing i could do about the way i look and i wrote it sucks to be vietnamese i wish i looked like everyone else you know that's what i thought during those situations and, and they suck right you're being targeted just because the way you look you know you feel inferior and you just break down like i completely broke down i started bawling i just i remember just sitting there and tears were just flowing out of my like i was just crying so where the blindness kind of comes in i i got really upset and i ran up to the front and i remember like, I just remember hearing everyone still laughing. Everyone was just laughing over and over again. And I wrote, like, thinking, like, is anyone going to do anything? And, you know, nothing was really done because, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm a kid crying, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. Nothing, nothing was really done. Where, you know, teasing and racism was, was they couldn't, you couldn't tell the difference because you didn't know. You never, you never thought, like, oh, maybe Miguel was dealing racism just then. Maybe there was something going on. And actually, after I wrote it, the, reinforce even more the colorblindness mentality 
my friend actually told me after he read it, told me this yesterday, he said, uh, I actually remember, you know, someone like parents saying something, a parent might've said something to us. He, he remembers that, but he said it was very quick and it was just about bullying. So even more the fact, you know, race teasing, bullying was indistinguishable from racism. There was nothing said. And, you know, as the only colored person on the whole team and parents, so how do you think that makes me feel in those situations where, you know, the kids obviously think it's acceptable. The parents can't even tell the difference. So I am alone. You know, I'm alone dealing with it. And I'm, I'm obviously very upset. And there's nothing. I'm completely isolated, right? Yeah, yeah. So colorblindness. Definitely got to, uh, you have to adjust your lens and, and understand that uh, BIPOC kids and people have, have different experience than your own. And uh, I say at the bottom of the post, you know, you have to, to acknowledge that there is different experiences and hopefully that by understanding and cha challenging your lens, that they'll be, you'll be able to detect these situations so they won't happen anymore. I remember uh, the first time uh, over the Zoom meeting that we talked about this, the fact that A, you're 12 years old, yeah. just unbelievably absurd that someone even that young has to go through that. And not saying that even it's acceptable at any age, but the fact that you're 12 years old, you're alone. And I remember we were saying how this could have been, and this is how it should be moving forward. This is a pivotal moment in your life, in those children's lives, and in the adult life of those around you, that could have been a pivotal moment of teaching, not only for ourselves, but for you as well to do better and to be better. And the fact that it wasn't, that was a missed opportunity. And we were talking about how having influential people in your life, people who say stuff that like stick with you. And we all have people that say stuff to us that sticks with us for the rest of our life. And that could have been a changed moment for these people that could have put them on a completely different path. And maybe it wouldn't have, but yeah. we need to try so that there is an opportunity and a perspective to change. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So moving a little bit over, let's talk about the adoption advocacy. So what was your experience with uh, adoption? I didn't even plan on writing a good adoption. That kind of just, just happened where I wrote my adoption story. And I remember like the feedback was like, like a lot of feedback, a lot of somebody messaged me and said like, oh my God, this is great for adoption, like blah, blah, blah. And I spent like I was like, what, is, what do you mean? Like, I just thought I was just telling my story. And I, I spent, I spent like, this happens to me a lot, but like, I find I get really fired up close to bedtime. So I was up to like one o'clock, I think 12 o'clock, one o'clock. And I just like typed in like the advocacy adoption and I kind of just got into it. But uh, my uh, experience of adoption has been great. Like I couldn't ask for a more loving family, but adoption advocacy has brought out a lot of allowing adoptees to express themselves. And if you read some of the comments, I remember like, you know, you don't know if something's wrong, feel like something's wrong. Like I remember reading the comments. The idea is that fallacy that's around adoption is that everything is perfect. Everything is great. And you should be grateful. You should be lucky. So like, if you look at the comments, I got random parents I've never, ever met. And they're commenting like, oh, you have an awesome family. You're so lucky. And Oh, you're so grateful. Like you should be grateful, like stuff like that. Yes, I am grateful, but what if I wasn't, right? What if something was wrong? As soon as you say something, anything negative about adoption, it seems like people just swarm you and tell you you should be grateful. But in reality, if you're not adopted, and let alone if you are adopted, you should not be able to tell me how I should feel about my own situation. So that's kind of where adoptee advocacy comes from. But like my situation has been relatively great with adoption. And it is it is a touchy subject, but you know, I read other people's stories and like get blown away. But I've had my struggles as well as as a transracial adoptee where that term means like your parents' race is different than 
my race. And I talk about situations like with color blindness and stuff like that, where, you know, lived experiences matter. And, you know, my parents have done everything they've done for me, anything they've done, anything they could for me. But the reality is, is that they don't know what I've experienced. And that's kind of where the disconnect comes from. I'm not going to get into like specific experiences, but that is part of it. And, you know, my siblings as well, you know, I have four siblings that are Caucasian. And one that's Vietnamese like me as well. You know, there is, there's a disconnect there where they're there supporting me. And I talk about it in my posts where how I could be, I feel so, feel so supported and loved, but also feel very alone. And the aloneness comes from not having someone that's fully relatable, someone that understands what you're going through. And so just talking about that, you know, the fallacy of adoption is they're like, oh my God, wow. Right. Like you, or you hear that or people's reaction is like, oh my God, you shouldn't be talking about that. You should be grateful like you should be really grateful like everything your parents done i've never said but like then i gotta i gotta defend myself right like well you know i'm just saying what happened you know this is the reality and people refuse to hear that that's kind of what what adoption advocacy is about there yeah i find it funny that you know we want people to talk about adoption and we want people to you know express themselves yet you are grateful but don't be disrespectful there's a fine line and be passionate about where you come from but don't be, don't, you know, be careful. Don't offend anyone where, where, you know, and just because you're okay with where you're to and the, and the life that you got and the parents and, and the people that surrounded you, you can be grateful for all that. But at the end of the day, whether people want to admit it or not, there's still a part of you that you are allowed to explore. And that's not disrespectful. That's not, you know, belittling to those who care about you and who've been there for you. It's called coming full circle, I think, about who you yeah. are, your who your soul is as a person. And and it's just so messed up to me because like like we were saying before, adoption is not the end all be all. Just because you get adopted doesn't mean, okay, life's great now. And every, and I don't get to have any downfalls now because I've been adopted. I don't get to have any kickbacks. I don't get to, I don't get to feel sad. I don't get to be angry. I don't get to be anything because I just need to be grateful. Yeah, no, that that's exactly what adopt yeah, is about. And the other side is, you know, adoption trauma, and adoption grief, where, you know, grief is, is the, the feeling of loss. Right. So for me, I have to live with loss of family that I don't know, loss of, you know, my mother, a mother, a father, brothers, sisters, cousins. I have no idea. A loss of culture, loss of knowing a lot of I always I, I reference it a lot in, in my in my posts of like, you know, not knowing who they were, loss of culture, uh, wondering why I was adopted. Like that's a huge question. And you know, where I was adopted. I, I honestly only know the province. I don't know how much I weighed. I don't have an original birth certificate. Like that's, not, that's loss. That's grief. People don't want to hear it. And it's the reality. And, you know, that's, I don't like to use burden, the word burden, but like, you know, it is, but people don't like to hear that either because it's, oh, Miguel's being ungrateful. Miguel should stop talking about it. You know, but you know, this is my life. This is what I have to live with. I'm 26 years old and I'm only talking about it now. So imagine how I felt as, you know, and I talk about the other thing about like, you know, you hear people say like, oh, you got your height from your grandfather. You know, how, how does that make me feel? Like, oh, well, you're not my blood relative. Like, I don't know where the hell, I don't have health records. I don't have physical traits. I don't have, I don't know. So that's, that's loss. That's, that's, that's what adoptees have to live with as well. And again, relatively speaking for what I've read my situation has been good and you hear other people's situation like i'm blown away like i didn't even know it was a thing uh but yeah no let, let adoptee speak let adoptees feel and don't don't judge them exactly and i think too and i've said it multiple times and i'll keep on saying it multiple times stop being so offended by what is being said and just try to understand what is being said and i think that's it goes 
It allows us to not belittle, like you said, the other person's experience. And it allows you to feel a togetherness with this part of you, have a deeper connection with these things in your culture and something that has been lost and taken from you. And the fact that you're trying to explore it is not an insult. No, 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 exactly. It's a, no, it it is a lot. Yeah, no, like it's weird where, you know, society tells you to like, I've always did exactly what I was supposed to do. And now it's kind of like society wants me to be quiet about it, but I'm like rebelling against it. But I feel more whole than I've ever had in my entire life, exploring all this stuff, their adoption, transracial adoption. I mean, I have lupus as well and and racism. And I kind of never, I've never felt so whole now than ever, but I know that people don't want to hear it. Some people want to hear it. Some people don't want to hear it. You know, and it, it is, it's weird being, for lack of a better way, rebelling against what is society expects me to do, right? So, but no, I feel great. I feel awesome. <laughs> I feel great. <laughs> I knew about this before the pandemic, but I think a lot of things that happened in the pandemic just highlighted a lot of the core issues mm-hmm. that we have as a society and how we've gone away from where we should be. And one of those things is white privilege. And I just, when it comes to racism and no one can, no one can fucking deny it. I don't care. White people get the most mad. They get so offended by people speaking up for themselves. And I think, and it's not even just so much about racism. I think it's just certain individuals in society who, when people try to talk about how they're feeling, people try to talk about their experience, people are more offended at people trying to speak about that than to understand it and i don't understand why yeah so i actually googled this and it makes so much sense so so if we want to break down the word white white privilege the first word white which is i find it very ironic because growing up people get really offended people aren't used to their race being pointed out but growing up i the reason why i find it ironic is because growing up no one had any problem calling me asian i was Asian blank. I was outsider, and people say that to my face. People called me import. People called me foreigner. People called me like literally a lot of my nicknames growing up. People will like anyone was there. They remember it. It was Asian blank, Asian blank, Asian something all the time. So you know, it is very ironic. Not it's like funny, not funny. You know, like I can't call somebody white, but I I can be called an outsider, an Asian blank, Asian whatever. Since I can remember, I was always the outsider in some sense of the word. The first part is because Caucasian white white people are not used to their race being pointed. There's nothing, so they get insulted once. So as soon as you call somebody white, you're like, they're like me, oh my God. white, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what? Like, you're, you're the majority race, and you're not used to it. There's, there's, yeah. So that's one. So then the word privilege, privilege. Uh, as soon as you call somebody privileged, you're like, oh my God. So usually I, I actually brought this up to, I met, so we can talk about this later, but I've met a lot of great people through this, I have my journey, but you know, I brought this up to one person and I just kind of wanted to hear, I like to hear people's other people's feedback. And the first thing, and I, I agree with it, but he, as soon as I said it, he said the, the reaction, the first reaction you're going to get is, oh, I worked really hard in my life. I'm not privileged. Right. So people don't like to hear that, but I always talk about like changing the word. Maybe if you could say, well, I'm not going to change the word, but for better understanding, you could say like white advantage or white, you know, the advantage of race. That's basically what it is. White privilege is referring to or advantages that you've had just because you're race. Being the majority race, there are things that you never had to deal with or don't have to deal with because of your race. That's, that's as simple as that. But 
people, as soon as you say privilege, white is like, you got to kind of like uneasy. And then privilege is like 10 out of 10, you're going to get upset. Then all of a sudden you're attacking the person or attacking me. The privilege of race. So I wrote something. What I wrote, I said, so I talk about racism. I talk about my experience. And I just wrote white privilege doesn't take away. It doesn't take away from any of the experience that you've had, any hardships or anything that you've dealt with. But it's referring to the experience that you did not have to experience because of race. All of my experiences I wrote were race. There, a lot of them are because of race. And if you were white, you never had to deal with it. All those kids on the bus never had to deal with it. They had privilege they didn't know about. That's all it's talking about. That's all that term is. It's referring to advantages you've had that because of race. It's so simple when you break it down. But, you know, when you bring it up and as soon as someone gets something defensive, it's a wall and then that's it. Then you're done. Right. Yeah. So, Their ears get shut off. They're like, how dare you? say that about me and like you're not saying that you're not a hard worker and no one is not saying that you never had your own disadvantages in life it's just when it came to obstacles in life or when it came to certain situations in life whether it was jobs or work uh in school or whatever the case may be even just socially there were advantages that you have because you just you never saw the way people looked at you and you never you never questioned the way people would be microaggressive against you because they weren't or they were in another way it didn't have to do with just the, the color of your skin yeah. no no i i agree and, and i guess the other thing you just referred to and you hear like you hear this a lot too it's it's a term like reverse racism where they talk about like oh well you know a lot of these actions that are being done to call affirmative actions and they're usually in like schools where you get like entrance scholarships or like work where they're they're trying to uh, raise representation of historically underrepresented populations. So that's kind of where you hear the word reverse racism, where you talk, where people say like, oh, well, it's really hard being, being a, a white male because, you know, well, you know, I can't do this. And there's always, you know, there, you always hear stuff like uh, I'm filling a quota. You hear that before? People are filling a quota, like, oh, we need more uh, indigenous people or people of color because they're people are trying to fill a quota and so let's say the workplace we'll narrow down the workplace but I explained this to one of my co-workers and she was very uh, receptive to it, which I was glad but I you know she was a female and she said like well this is my co-worker back somewhere else but yeah she um, she was like oh when I applied you know I never had to deal with uh, I never had to compete against other females I'm another male so I knew that but the reason because of that is because females were underrepresented so they're giving more advantages to females now because traditionally you guys were underrepresented so it's not microscopically maybe but historically then that's kind of why these actions are being done and I heard that I heard that a few times and I like I, I don't really like hearing it I know it's wrong and I made bits of research so that's why I kind of have a good answer <laughs> Yeah. I just think it's so crazy because people are like, oh, like we got to hire like so many of this and so many of that. And it's like, if there was a basic equality, if everyone had the same thing from the get-go, but not even equality, if everyone had, if there was equity, if there was no, if there was no barriers, if there was no prejudice, if there was nothing in the get-go, we wouldn't have to backtrack and get this representation now. And that's the issue. And people think, oh, they're just doing this and oh, sure, females. But that's because you you already discriminated against these people. So now we got to backtrack yeah. and we got to get these people in here because we already yeah. fucked it up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> we are back at it again. And I will one day get the longer Zoom. <laughs> but that day <laughs> is not today. <laughs> so yeah, talking about diversity in the workplace and 
we're just backpedaling. I don't know why people are getting so offended by it or feel like they're right as a worker is being taken away when if this was already in place, we wouldn't have to do it. And the fact that we have to do it because these people are being discriminated against, whether female, uh, BIPOC, whatever the case may be, it's it's wrong. And it should have never happened in the first place. But because it did now, this is where the fuck we're to get over it. Yeah. And people have strong opinions too, I find, especially where they know that their opinion would be, I guess that they, they know their opinion is questionable. I use the word questionable, or I could just say racist. If you think their opinion is racist. <laughs> Let's call it what it they, is, uh, Miguel. Let's call it yeah, what it is. <laughs> their opinions are racist. They usually, or they, sometimes they just, they think it, but they know they shouldn't say it. Oh, um, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. They know, they know something's wrong. So they usually don't say them out loud. So usually I found since I've started, they'll personally message me one or comment comments a bit. That's even public. So that's even worse. <laughs> they'll personally message me. Like I'll get a paragraph or two or three paragraphs every now and then. It's just like, Oh my God. And then I'll get a comment or what I get before or a, a few times I've been like, they found a moment to take me away. Mm. They see me and they'll like take me away and they'll voice their opinions. And I kind of just like, I'm like, I don't, I, uh, they know I don't agree with them, but they feel like since now I'm, I'm this person that I'm, I, you know, I'm an advocate. They feel that their opinion needs to be heard through me and I don't really care, but. Uh, well, people yeah. feel the need to, there's always going to be resistance to change. But yeah. our my goal in life and my goal moving forward for our generation, future generations, is that we need to get uncomfortable to get comfortable and we need to keep pushing boundaries and we need to just get to a place where we don't have to put all these laws and rules in place because we have, as a society, collectively agree with it. And those mm-hmm. who are hateful, those who are negative, th- those people, there's such a small group of them now that it doesn't matter. And that's yeah. what I want. And not that they don't yeah. matter, but the hate the hatefulness don't matter. That's what I want to yeah. get to. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some work environment. So what was your, uh, some of your experiences with, you know, graduating university and getting jobs and what that was like for you? So I guess one of the work experiences that I did bring up in one of my speeches where, so this was a microaggression that I, that, that happened where again, very innocent, but it seemed very innocent, but you're not, you're not really sure, but you know, I'm the one feeling the brunt of it afterwards. So a coworker came in, they said, you know, introductions, where you're really from. I said, I was from Newfoundland. And this person said, uh, they were from away. Can't remember at the time. And then eventually uh, I said that I was from Vietnam and, and their immediate reaction was, oh, we're the outsiders. We're the outsiders and kind of like, haha, then left. So, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, we're, we're the outsiders. Like, you know, that person was really happy to have someone that was an, an outsider after I, you know, they they dismissed that I was from Newfoundland, right? So the situations like that were, weren't great. I was really upset. Yeah, so that was not great. Uh, again, a microaggression that you're not aware of. And and then I, I reached out to a friend and I, I said it in one of my speeches where, you know, I brought it up and their reaction was, uh, oh, that's not a big deal or you're not going to change it or, you know, you're going to have to learn to live with it. Right. So like, again, you know, not understanding that the experience that I have is different than, you know, this person was Caucasian. So this person had absolutely no idea what I was going through in their sense. It was just me getting upset about a little thing, but you know, it wasn't a little thing. It was, it was a microaggression, a racial microaggression that I had to deal with alone. Again, I was alone again. Right. So 
Why is it your responsibility to live with a shit situation that can and easily should be changed, you know? And and allyship is very important. And, you know, we can can go into like the idea of like representation is really important because representation, lived experiences matter where, you know, if if I had more BIPOC friends and representation around me, I could go to that person. And I know, I know already that that person knows exactly what I'm going through. And I know that person is either going to be going to understand and is going to be on my side. So that goes a long way. So you think about these situations, like, you know, I had to deal with by myself and I reached out to someone. So an ally is someone from majority population, a Caucasian person, and that's, you know, fighting against the same things and on the same side as me. But, you know, as, as a, as a person of color, you don't know who's on your side. So I can go into many different situations, but this one specifically you know, I'm upset. I reach out and I was shut down. Right? And the other times, like you, you also got to think about, you know, you're not always have the courage to reach out. Right. So a lot of times you're dealing with it by yourself anyway. So when you do have that courage to reach out, like that, the feeling of being, you know, uh, invalidated, you know, your situation, oh, is that really that bad? That's terrible. So that's kind of where allyship is really important. It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference in my life for sure. And I'm sure for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to know that we need people in numbers and we need to know that not just who and who isn't on our side, we need to get a society on the go that everyone is about this and everyone is someone you can go to and everyone is an ally, despite what your, your ethnicity is. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. yeah. I remember too, a little side note, but I was at work one day, I won't say where, but I was at work one day and it was during the pandemic. And things were really crazy. And it was about the Black Lives Matter. And it was about the protest. And people being like, oh, you know, I get their point. But like, they don't have to break stuff. And I was like, would you be fucking mad if your children were being killed? Would you be fucking mad if no one listened to you? Would you be mad if if people planted drugs on you? If people had discriminated against you? If you've been going through generational trauma, no matter black, white, and it's like, it doesn't matter. Would you not be mad? And then I remember them saying they turned around and we were talking about like education. And they're like, you know, like I, I get like, you know, kids and, and stuff like that. But like, you know, like, aren't they like maybe too young to learn about racism? And then I was like, but yet the eight year old that's in their same class is old enough to experience it. Make yeah. it make sense. Yeah. No. And I think, yeah. And the idea that, you know, you're too, you're too young to learn about it. And my, and I think you should learn about it as soon as, as soon as possible, because, you know, that's how you breed allyship. And the other, the other thing is. You know, I experienced it from day one, whether it was small or big. So, like, like why can't everybody else learn about it? Because, right? Like, I, I, I would hate to hear if I heard that. I don't even know what I'd do. I'd just, I, I was, or, or go off. Yeah, one or the other. Like, I couldn't. That's terrible. Yeah, but, but that's what I mean. Like, just you're unaware. You don't know what's happening around you. Like, if you don't know racism happening around you, you probably say stuff like that. Like, oh, you're so far removed from it. Like, oh, well. Like, you know, they shouldn't be doing that. But yeah, like you said, it's generational discrimination. Like it's, and there's no action. So it boils over into what we've seen with the, with, with the George Floyd incident, murder. Yeah. So like people deserve would, to be mad. People deserve to speak out. I would fucking break shit too. Even like say a little off topic, but like the presidential schools being found, I want to do a whole episode on that, but People are fucking mad because people have shut them down, have dismissed them, have told them, no, you're crazy. They've taken these people. They've casted them aside. They don't care. They do this to people. And then they wonder why people turn around and they're so fucking mad and upset. You actually can sit down and sleep at night asking yourself why these people are upset. 
And people have to ride and people have to do that to get changed because apparently it's the only way that people hear people nowadays. And it's the only re- way that action is taking place. And I'm so glad that cell phones, uh, in a sense, like I hate social media in a certain sense, but I also love it that people now have cameras and phones to catch these acts of hatred on camera. Because before yeah. you, it just wasn't it. Your big clunky yeah. fucking chunky phone with the antenna wasn't going to catch that shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, it just, and like, and actually rolling into that here in Newfoundland there a couple of weeks ago when we originally were talking, like what's happening right in front of us, the two Muslim girls who were attacked yeah. verbally and on, on Tor yeah. Bay Road. Yeah. So that was, that was insane. You know, and, and, and we talked about it before, but like, you know, microaggressions lead to macroaggressions, you know, a mentality an action and and a, and a mentality you hear you hear the man speaking he screams at these two muslim girls and he's like i don't know what you're doing here like you're up to something i know you're doing something wrong and then you know eventually he assaults one of the girls and luckily the girl there was another person there with her phone out and she was videotaping the whole thing no that 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 is, is unacceptable but it's happening right here in newfoundland and, and we need to be fully aware of it and we need to do actions against it yeah, I don't even know where I was going with that. But yeah, no, racism is, is happening. And there was also another incident, um, the CBS, there was a trail. I don't know if you've seen this one. Um, one of the trails, um, there was a bunch of racial slurs all over the, the wood, right? That's right here in Newfoundland, right? That, that, that is, that's happening. And, and, and there, yeah, there was, you'd have to see the article, but like racism is on the rise. And we need to be aware of it and we need to do actions against it. But uh, yeah, the awareness is not even there. I, I think one awareness and then action, but I don't even know if the awareness is there where, where you know, there's a mentality that racism is, is far away. We're far removed from that stuff. But no, uh, no, racism is here. Yeah, there's hate literally all around us, whether people want to admit it or not. We're not as good as we think. We're not as great as we think. We're not doing as good as what we think we are. What we have done, what we are doing, like I've said before, it's not working. We have to change. We have to do better. And it's our generation. I feel like there's people above us, like, you know, older generations that are in charge right now. And they're making decisions for a group of generations that are coming up that don't believe in majority of this fucking bullshit. And that's why we need to fight back. And that's why we need to call people out. And, you know, it's not just about, oh, well, I'm not racist. He's racist. We all have to take that responsibility on. We all need to take that burden on. We all need to carry it. And then we need to move forward as a group. Because I think what we were saying is that if you, you know, pinpoint certain people that causes an outrage versus if maybe you, you spoke to people a bit more, I guess, in a more of a sensitive way where we all collectively take it on because some people just don't yeah. have the ability to do that, to take it on the, to themselves. We all collectively come together and th- let's get rid of all the bad apples. Let's get rid of yeah. all the bullshit. Like, like we we're saying, people just want to be happy and I don't understand yeah. why it's such a fucking hard task. Yeah. No, no, you got to challenge people, right? That's, that's the thing. I talk about this a lot where, you know, microaggressions, so I'll speak for microaggressions, especially like specifically, but you have to challenge people, you know, when they say something that, you know, you might think that is racist, you know, you, the best way to handle it is to ask a question from, you know, the aggression, like, well, why did you say that? Why do you think that? And, you know, that would spur, that would invoke a sense of reflection where, you know, that that person would either say it out loud, I hope not, uh, or they would, you know, the hope is that that person would answer the question in their head and realize that I just did a racist act against somebody or I'm, I'm about to, or, 
you know, that's kind of where, where it needs to be going. And, and obviously uh, uh, over expressions of racism needs to be met with more, best way of saying it more expression i guess <laughs> yeah right like i remember yeah. we were saying like the overt racism i think what people think just racism is is when people's being obviously racist or being obviously yeah. like hateful but a lot of what we were saying these microaggressions it ties into that covert racism which are concealed or subtle rather than obvious in public but that doesn't make them any bit better no no and, and, and you know what i grew up with was mainly covert and some overt but from what i'm seeing now it's uh overt racism is becoming more and more prevalent you know as an as an asian man uh it there's a huge rise in anti-asian uh hate um i try not to look too much but i do see it but some of the incidents i see against asian people is absolutely terrifying hence more reason to talk about it and actions against it because there there is a lot of hate and there's you know there, there we don't need to get into too much but um, yeah there's just there's a lot there's a lot of anti-asian hate there's a lot, a lot of a lot of hate out there and it's on the rise and there needs to be something done about it I remember we were saying and throughout the podcast, like equality does not cut it. And it never really did cut it because equality should have been in place from the get-go. What we need to do now is have equity. We need to have that in place. We need to break down the systemic barriers. We need to be asking ourselves on a regular basis, how can we teach ourselves? How can we teach others? And how can we just like, how can we say, fuck that? Like no more. And what, because equality, you give people resources, quote unquote, to make things easier. That's not that doesn't make things easier. You just provided something. You're just putting a band-aid on a problem that is long-standing and it doesn't create real long change. And that's that's what we need to aim for. We need to aim for real change. And I want to challenge the system. I want to challenge people. And that's why I wanted to come up with the podcast and I want to do different interviews and interviews like this with us where let's just call it what it is. Let's get to the bottom of it and let's just put it out there and hopefully someone somewhere sits with it and then maybe uses this in their own lives and then somehow that creates this big like the butterfly yeah. effect kind of thing and, and, and i guess to echo what you just said um since i've started my blog i've i have noticed a difference in my surrounding especially where you know people are you know hyper aware of, not hyper aware they're more aware <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of they're aware of, of racism and, and overt and covert expressions of racism and, and and allyship is, you know, I tweeted every now and then, like, you know, allyship is on the rise. And uh, for, for I speak for me specifically, but, you know, like my surrounding has been good. My friends have been, have been, I, I kind of, I've noticed that they have been more aware, right? And I, I actually had friends over a bit a month ago and, you know, we got on this topic of like overt and covert racism and what I've experienced. And, and I kind of, I kind of said, you know, I, I guarantee there's something, you know, I'm going to deal with it at some point, maybe tonight. So like we went out, you know, sure enough, I actually tweeted about it and I wrote about it, but you know, same thing, you know, we were in a circle and everyone asked where they're from. And I said, I'm from here and we're all from here. And the person kind of like, right not, right. And then kind of just happened. And I told my friends, yeah, she was just racist. Like what, what, that just happened. They didn't completely miss it. They didn't even know what happened. Right. But like, you know, it ha- it's happening all the time. And, and, Again, people need to realize that it is here and it, it, it is rising, being aware of it. And then we could all come together to make a change. And yeah, no, it's, it's here. <laughs> it's here and it's alive and it's not going well. <laughs> yeah. 
resources in Newfoundland and Canada to help against racism or things or actions that are in place right now, you know, whether they're working or not, it's just nice to see that these things are getting spoken about and hopefully we can somehow push this to go further. April 6, 2022, there was a committee on anti-racism and they're trying to take more action here in Newfoundland to develop the necessary tools to stop racism in Newfoundland. It involves ministers of immigration, population growth, skills, uh, justice and public safety, and indigenous affairs and reconciliation and education. They're looking from input from residents, communities, and cultural organizations, employers, educators, researchers, and others uh, on their experience and hearing recommendations on stopping all forms of racism. First summary of of uh, what we are hearing document is actually going to be prepared for public release soon is what I've read. Let's give them some input, guys. You can send an email to anti-racism at uh, gov.nl.ca. You can also go read all about this on the GovNL website. I also wanted to touch base on the Newfoundland Labrador English School District. They're trying to launch a Black Lives Matter uh, conversation guide for families that was released actually June 26 of 2020. Uh, it was aimed at sparking conversation about race and anti-Black racism between parents and guardians and their children. So again, and we highlighted throughout this was how do these parents break down the barriers and just talk about the point. Let's just get to it. Let's just call it what it is. It was actually made in, in collaboration with the Association of New Canadians. I also found the Canadian Race Relations Foundation. So they are dedicated in the elimination of racism and all forms of racial discrimination in Canadian society. Uh, you can go on their website and read a couple more things. I also found the Evolve program. So they provide counseling, mentorship, and customized social supports to individuals and families who are A, looking to disengage from extremists and hate-motivated groups, or two, have been victimized by hate crime or incident themselves. It's free, it's voluntary, and it's confidential, guys. They have an intervention team that provides relationship-based services and trauma-informed care, and their goal is to create this lasting and meaningful change for those who they serve while promoting safer communities. Although they are based out of Edmonton, they actually provide in-person uh, services anywhere in Alberta, but they can also work remotely uh, with participants anywhere across Canada. Uh, you can go on the Evolve website. You can call or text them at one 877 938-6580. Uh, for all other inquiries, please call 780-993-8403, or you can just visit the website at evolveprogram.ca. I just wanted to throw that in there for you guys in case you felt the need to do some research, need some help get on it. I want to thank you so much for coming on. I could talk about this all day with you. I love our conversations. I love the flow of it. I love your story. I love how strong you are. I love that you created something. You had a passion for something. And I love that you couldn't keep your voice down. I love that it couldn't be tamed. And somehow somewhere at now 26, everything that you've experienced in your life has is starting to come full circle. And I love that you're, you're speaking out about it. And I hope it gives you some like you said, you're feeling the best you ever had. So I hope that that closeness and that togetherness and finding what lights your soul on fire, I hope that keeps going. And I hope that you do reach to people who feel the way you do or a kid that feels the way you do. And I hope that they look at you and you're like, I want to be strong like Miguel. I want to speak out against this. And I want to create change in my own environment, my own families in school, out of school, whatever the case may be. I hope that it reaches them. Yeah. Thank you. I hope it does too. And uh, again, it's uh, it's evolving and there's a lot of new challenges and new change, but uh, no, it's been great. And I, I feel great and I'm happy to be on here. Thank you for having me. 
I'm so glad you came on, guys. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Sunday Sessions. It's your girl, April. We'll be back next week. Like I said, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. I'm just rolling with the punches. And uh, yeah, please tune in. And I want to send out another credit to Matthew Mercer and Karen. Thank you so much for the cover art. Matthew, thank you so much for the music. You guys are true ones. And uh, yeah, keep on listening, guys. We'll see you next week.